0: You are listening to the Motherhood Unstressed Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Carlisle. I hope you're having a fabulous day. I hope you're doing well. And I'm so grateful for spending some time with you today to share the work of my incredible guest. His name is Dr. Ross Ellen Horn. He's a pioneer and leader in the development and promotion of community integration services, types of care that serve and empower individuals diagnosed with psychiatric or addiction issues while they remain in their own communities and outside of institutional settings. And he is just out with a new book by HarperCollins. It's How We Change and the 10 Reasons We Don't. And this book takes a deep dive into the dynamics that influence all human change. And that's really what we're talking about today. We're talking about change, and you know how unavoidable change is. But at the same time, why we cling to sameness, and and perhaps why that's not so bad. And looking at that in a completely different way, um, it's just it's going to to absolutely change how you look at change. And why looking at that, having that contemplative process, is really the key to making any sort of change. That's actually lasting and efficacious. So I hope you love this episode. I certainly did. I could speak with Dr. Ellen Horn forever um, and pick his brain. He's so brilliant and I'm just so grateful for him sharing his time and his wisdom with all of us. Um, If you love this episode, please share it with at least one friend. Please, of course, leave us a review. Thank you so much for all the reviews coming in. So, so appreciated. And without further ado, here is my episode with Dr. Ross Ellen Horn. Hey guys, before we dive into this episode, I want to mention show sponsor Haya Health. Now, typical children's vitamins are basically candy in disguise. We all know this. Um, and that's why Haya was created. The pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin was created by two dads who were tired of children's vitamins that caused more problems than they solved. Now, if you look at a typical children's vitamin uh, bottle, you see that you don't even just give them one, you give them four usually per day. That adds up. That's a lot of sugar that you're giving your child who probably is already eating a lot of sugar now that we're getting closer to Halloween really you know when your children are growing they need the very best nutrition and obviously you know diets in america are not where they need to be so adding a healthy supplement is crucial and we've worked out an exclusive offer with hia Health for their best-selling children's vitamin. This is just for Motherhood Unstressed podcast listeners. You can receive 15% off your first order by going to hiahealthcom forward slash unstressed or just entering the code unstressed at checkout. That's H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash unstressed and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Full discount is applied at checkout. This episode is also brought to you by BioLite. In 2005, Dr. Rollins was looking for a way to help his wife stay healthy and hydrated through her chemotherapy treatments. He tried all the popular hydration products, but nothing was effective. As a result, his wife had to resort to IV bags to keep up with her treatments. He decided to develop his own solution, a liquid supplement that offers the same benefits of an IV, but in a drinkable form. And so BioLite, the world's first IV in a bottle, was created. BioLite is a physician-formulated drink that contains seven and a half more times. BioLite is a physician-formulated drink that contains seven and a half times more electrolytes than leading sports drinks, with only one third of the sugar. When you need hydration without sacrificing quality and convenience, BioLite is the answer. It's the best choice for athletes, those recovering from illnesses, those fighting cancer, or anyone just trying to stay hydrated and get healthy. And in honor of October being Breast Cancer Awareness Month, BioLite is offering free bottles to anyone fighting cancer and going through chemotherapy. To redeem this limited time offer, please visit drinkbiolite.com forward slash free bottles. That's drinkbiolyt com forward slash free bottles to sign up for yourself or gift to a loved one by using the code WARRIOR. Well, hello, doctor. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you're here.
1: I'm happy to be here.
0: Yeah, so I'm just, as we were saying before, I'm so fascinated with your work, especially the work of change, but take us back. Um, how did you get into this particular type of work? What drew you to this, specifically the challenges of change?
1: Hmm. Well, um, I, I can go way back, if, if that's helpful,
0: yeah.
1: um, which is that um, I, I think I had a profound experience when I was younger. I, I lived in a college town that was also a town that was kind of the suburbs for the aerospace industry. And that meant that that was a real split in that town, uh, in cultures. And, um, I lived on the, kind of the hippie professor side of town and I went to a a hippie school and I did really, really well in that school. Um, I was really kind of respected as this sort of creative kid in that school. Um, and I couldn't spell and I couldn't do math. Um, And I couldn't really read very well. And then I um, moved to a um, a junior high that was really for kids from the parents of the aerospace industry. Mm -hmm. And my life got shattered. And I got diagnosed as having a severe learning disability. I was placed on track to really be removed from the school, you know, go to the special school and things like that, really stigmatized. And it shifted my entire perspective regarding hope, regarding Mm -hmm. my sense that my future was in my hands. And the way I cope with it is I. Began to seriously define myself as disabled. And also I took on this sort of persona as a stoner, you know, and there's a way to kind of protect myself. And years later, as I started to work with people with really significant Mm -hmm. histories in in psychiatric care who've been in and out of hospitals, Mm -hmm. and I looked at how they were kind of slowing down their lives, I began to kind of question, is that because of the psychiatric issue or is it because of the profound social events that have happened to them because of being diagnosed as, as having a psychiatric issue. And that really started me on course to start the company that I, that I own, which is called Ellen Horn, And it's a company that works with people that have been in and out of the system, really thinking about them as suffering from what we call psychosocial trauma, the trauma mm-hmm. of kind of losing hope in your life. And from that, I developed these 10 reasons not to change, working with these folks. And then that became kind of this topic for the book, because I think that it really applies to all of us. So, Yeah, I hope that wasn't too long a bio on no, not at all. But yeah,
0: not at all. And I I can I can already tell. I mean, how many mothers listening to this who their children have been you know categorized into ADHD or some category, and it completely changes how they see their children. You know, their hope for their children as they age. So I think even just sharing your story on that is is giving hope to to the mother listening to this right now. Um, But this wasn't this wasn't your first book. Why why did change specifically you know come to you you know obviously through your work but how is it that we haven't figured this out yet why is it so hard to change why is this you know I read I read your book and it's just like oh thank you you know but it there's so many books out there on on habits and change and all of that like why why are we still struggling with this so much
1: mm-hmm um, if you don't mind, I'm just gonna, I just want to step back for a second because you mentioned m- mothers of kids that might have some sort of learning disability. And I want to really clarify my position on that, which is I don't think I have a learning disability. I think that um, I don't factory learn well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, and, and, we, and we live in this epidemic of only one kind of learning, mm-hmm. and that's hurting a lot of kids. It's making those kids feel like they're incompetent unable to manage their lives. I mean, you're in an institution that's all about learning, and you're the one that's disabled and learning. That's a profound stigma. They're being medicated, when in reality, they just don't learn the same way as other kids. And what we find is that people with learning disabilities are actually typically do really well as entrepreneurs, as artists, as all kinds of other things that are kind of unconventional. Yeah. Um, and it's very sad that we live in the society that's really looking at kind of placing these round, round, round blocks into square pegs, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so, um, you know, this has been my life work on some level is this idea of why people don't change. Cause I work with people who have two problems. One is they're demotivated and the other is they don't take in help very well. Help feels like it's something dangerous to them. Mm. And it's my belief that that's because of those social injuries. Um, and I've also become very frustrated with a world that's all about change instead of a much more powerful force, which is sameness. So, you know, um, five easy steps to da da da, da right? right? How to do this. Yeah. Um, and not only are those, th- do I feel like that kind of way of looking at things is bad for us because it makes us feel bad if we can't do those five yes. quote unquote easy steps, <laughs> but it, It treats us as if we're lawnmowers, as if we're machines. Like how to, is that really how a human being changes their life is through a how to book through a manual? That is terrifying to me that we live in a culture that sees us in that kind of way. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like it was important to write a book that was about this other thing, which is contemplating sameness because sameness is the more powerful force, right? Than change. So that when was you sort say of what sameness,
0: do you think, you know, the protocol, of like doing what you have always done and, and just accepting that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Doing the thing that feels um, like it's the opposite of the thing you should change. So, you know, mm. instead of dieting, not dieting, instead of stopping drinking, drinking, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all of those sorts I
0: of... I like this book. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, and... um Finding a way to help people build some affection for sameness. Because I don't think it's a bad thing. Um, It may lead to a a less deep life, a less meaningful life, a less enjoyable life, but that doesn't make it bad.
0: Mm.
1: Right? And, um, And in fact, I'm sort of playing a trick, which is that if I can get you to see sameness is not bad, you're probably actually more willing to let it go. That's a strange thing, but that's really what the science on change tells us, that if you're able to look at the good sides of something you're getting rid of, you're more willing to let it go than if you just see it as tainted and bad.
0: That's groundbreaking. That's incredible. <laughs> I mean, can you talk to us a little bit more about you know the science and the studies on that? Because I get it, but it's like, I have never heard of this You know, until until your work came along. So talk to mm-hmm. us about that. It's fascinating.
1: Yeah. So- there's this uh, concept called the stages of change that comes mostly out of the work with people with problematic habits, you know, what people call addiction. Some of us are resisting the term addiction in some ways, these problematic habits, these habits that get in the way of people having better lives. And, and it basically says that to change, you have to be in a place of contemplation. So beating someone over the head that they have to change is non contemplative. Contemplation is where you're weighing the pros and cons So for someone who's wanting to quit uh, drinking, you're less likely to help them if it's just drinking is bad. Mm -hmm.
0: This episode is sponsored by a very cool new company we've discovered called Layer Origin. Layer Origin was founded by a few food science PhDs at Cornell University in New York who have developed the best prebiotic supplement on the market, and it's called Pure HMO. HMOs can be found in human milk and are what nurture the immune system and support the microbiome of infants. Now, don't worry, pure HMO doesn't actually contain human milk. Instead, it's produced by a precise fermentation and purification process of lactose. But the key is, it effectively replicates HMO and all the benefits. Clinical research shows that HMOs can also benefit immune function, gut health, and brain cognition in adults. Nutrition authors and podcasters like Ben Greenfield and Joel Green have been discussing the benefits of HMO lately as well. There's a lot of excitement about prebiotics right now, and HMO in particular. And listen up, our listeners are eligible for a special discount at amazon.com forward slash layer origin. Just type the code 15purehmo at checkout to save 15% when you order Layer Origin's pure HMO prebiotic. Again, that's amazon.com forward slash layer origin and use the code 15purehmo.
1: Instead of a conversation of what, what do you get out of drinking? And are you willing to give that up? And let's weigh that to what you gain if you don't drink. That's a better conversation. Yeah. And so we have to find what's good in sameness to know what we're giving up. Otherwise, we're kind of lying to ourselves. We're saying it, all sameness is bad. All change is good. And that's BS. There's something yeah. you're giving up. And so that's, that's, that's why, that's why you know, this is what sort of they say. This is how people change. They reach a contemplative place.
0: Wow. And it yeah. seems like that process happened, you know, for the people who do change on their own or with help, it's almost like it happens subconsciously. You know, they don't set out thinking about, okay, I'm going to think about what's really good about these bad habits. It just, it kind of happens on its own, but I feel like mm-hmm. bringing that awareness of, of a situation, I mean, you just, you just give them years, you know, of, of potential change in their life, if that's what they want.
1: That's right. That's right. Yeah. That, that it's that kind of, thinking things through. And, you know, in other words, you're, you're, you're in charge of this event, this change. And so why would you be following? Why would steps written by somebody else help you? Those steps can help you, but they have to help you after you've done the contemplation, right? The people that actually use that diet book, almost any diet of work, it's the person who's in that contemplative state that's using that diet where it actually works on them. So it's not that there's nothing wrong with five easy steps, but the five easy steps come after you've in that place where you're really willing to do it. Otherwise, they're, they're useless. I mean, you know, we just know diets fail. They mostly fail. We know that most substance abuse treatment fails. We know that more people quit drinking and drugging outside of treatment than in mm-hmm. treatment. And mm-hmm. that the people that do quit drinking and drugging outside of it, their sobriety lasts longer than people that get it in treatment. Wow. Now, there's all kinds of reasons for that that have to do, you know, the different types of people go to treatment that don't go to treatment, all those sorts of things. But there is something also evidence there that there's something about that contemplative state, that place where you're kind of making the decision on your own that makes this sort of sustainable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's that's incredible. So talk to us a little bit about, this was one of my favorite parts of the book where you, you talk about brokenness and how mm-hmm. that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, reading that, I mean, I got emotional reading that because mm-hmm. I feel like we've all been there. We've all felt like we're broken or we're not good enough or there's something wrong with us because we're not living up to some standard, you know, some mm-hmm. arbitrary standards. So talk to us about that.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I saw this, Ad on TV the other day for the cure for bumps on the back of your arm. I, I didn't know that that was a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: <laughs> apparently, so. Yeah.
1: And we live in a culture where everything's problematized and where we are really disempowered by these messages about brokenness. Um, they're very dangerous messages and they get us to consume, yeah. right? Because, okay, then I got I to, I'll go to this treatment. I'll do this thing. I'll do this thing. Um, and they're very shameful, you know, and um, in, in human existence is a broken existence. So you're, you're, you're typically kind of diagnosing something that's basically part of our humanity. You know, um, in my field, we have this term for a diagnoses that are called personality disorders. hmm I've never met an ordered personality, <laughs> right? So I don't, I don't know what that is. Attachment right. disorders, attachment meaning, you know, I don't, I, I, I'm disordered in my connections to people. Um, all my connections to people are disordered. I have, don't have a single connection to someone that's a perfect, flowering, perfect experience.
0: Right.
1: And there's beauty in that. That's what. That's the beauty in our humanity. Is is this sort of chaos and brokenness, because out of that comes creativity and art and culture. You know, we're not robots. We're not machines. And, and again, we live in this culture that started treating us more and more like machines that you sort of fix, right? And what, what are you fixing it for? You're fixing it to conform, mm-hmm. you know, to be kind of like everybody else. Um, and I find that very dangerous. And, and I come from a generation that was reading books that it, it sounds wild today. When you go into the store today or online and you look at books, it's how to fix your anxiety, how to fix your depression. My generation, we we're walking into bookstores. The terror about conformity. People were Yay. writing about, yeah, we're worried about this encroaching thing of conformity. Wow. That
0: you know? um, so was starting then, really. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, that's and incredible.
1: In conformity, one.
0: Do you think mm-hmm. it's a symptom of just capitalism or do you think it's something greater than that? Do you think it's like, I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, I'm making us all machines, you know, for a greater machine, you know, for that.
1: I, I think it, um, I think it has a lot to do with um, what you could call hyper capitalism where every element of your life is made into a commodity where our bodies and our minds are treated as sellable things. Mm-hmm. where we brand ourselves, where we, all of that stuff. Um, yeah. It's part of that. Yeah.
0: yeah. Wow. It's true. I mean, you go on social media, you know, everyone is their own brand. I mean, That's right. myself included, I mean, this podcast yeah. and everything, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know, there's gotta be a way to shine your light. Like your work is an absolute light to the world. I mean, it, it makes it makes me just kind of like drop my shoulders and be like, okay, you know, Mm. my life, you know, my life is good. Like things are Mm -hmm. good. I don't have to, you know, kill myself or, you know, shame myself for not being up here or who, you know, some thing outside of myself. I mean, and in a way, like I'm really grateful that you've been able to brand, you know, your company and your work in that way so that I could find it, you know, the listener Mm -hmm. could find it. So what's, what's the balance there? What's the balance of having that contemplative process of, of kind of participating in a way of the capitalistic society that we're in so that the good can come out alongside the the conformity.
1: I didn't know you were going to ask these kind of deep sociological Marxist (laughs) questions. You brought it out. (laughs) Well, you know, the flip side is there's some just beautiful things going on with the younger generation about identity that's basically saying you're not going to be able to tap to to put a tag on me yeah there's fluidity in in my gender there's this kind of greater accepting of of other ethnicities and races there's this this is called multiculturalism and that's all stuff that resists the ability for a company to make something out of it It, it's not perfect because you're already seeing ads that kind of use that stuff right but it it is this beautiful dodging Mm -hmm you know, of, of this control of this commodification of, of our, of our experience that, um, that really excites me, you know, Um, largest protest marches in American history happened this year. Right. So there's, there's also this kind of remarkable stuff going on that, that resists it, that resists this kind of commodification, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It does give me hope for the future. Yeah. Uh, speaking of hope Talk to us mm-hmm. about the fear of hope Because that's something I, don't, I think a lot of people don't know about And should
1: Yeah So th- This is the kernel of what I learned Working with people that have had profound experiences Of disappointment right? But I think it affects all of us And what I mean by profound experiences of disappointment People that have been diagnosed as psych- having a serious psychiatric issue um, So we have hope We have despair And we live in a world where that's the story Right? You either hope or you're having despair. What we're sort of working on in our research and what I believed before the research and working with the clients I work with is that there's something in between those two, which is fearing hope, being afraid of hope. So a person can actually be very hopeful, but it terrifies them. They're like a high diver who's afraid of heights, right? Mm-hmm. And the reason why they're afraid of hope is that Every hope does something very interesting. When you hope for something, you make that thing more important than it was, than before you hope for it. And you notice you lack it in your life. That's what happens when you hope. And so you're always taking a risk when you hope, because you're making something important you may not get. Hope, hope is the emotion that drives us towards a goal through uncertainty. You don't hope for something you know you're going to get. That's this cheaper emotion called optimism, right? It's going to be great, right? <laughs> Hope is I'm this thing that's driving you to something that you feel like you should have.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's a
1: big risk. And so if you've had these experiences of hoping for something and not getting it, you start to fear it. Oh, there's that thing again that's going to get me to that place where I feel bad about myself. Yeah. And the bad feeling is awful, which is I can't take care of myself. I can't make my life work. I can't, make, I can't actuate things in my life. And that's primal. I mean, that's what infants feel when they're not cared for, right? Is mm-hmm. I'm not able to make things work to get me what I need. And so that's the experience we have when we hope for something and don't get it. And that's why we're afraid of it. All of us are afraid of it, but more, some people are more afraid of it than the rest of us. Right? Does, that, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you think yeah.
0: our fear of hope is, is more based on early childhood experiences or could it happen anytime where we like all of a sudden are terrified? This episode is also sponsored by Himalaya Botanique Toothpaste. Now, sometimes using natural toothpaste can feel like a trade-off. Sure, it's great to ditch the SLS and artificial flavors, but brushing with a natural toothpaste can feel flat and bland, leaving your mouth with an unclean feeling. Believe me, I've tried many natural toothpastes that either taste like baking soda, or I feel like they don't really work. I feel like I need to brush my teeth two seconds later. But Himalaya Botanique is a toothpaste that's free from fluoride... SLS and artificial colors and flavors. But unlike other similar toothpastes, they don't compromise on flavor or performance. Himalaya toothpaste is always bursting with foam and flavor. I think it's the foam that's the most important part to me. I don't know. And that just that clean feeling overall, and they definitely delivered. So interested in trying it for yourself and ditching the fluoride in SLS? I would be too. So you can get 20% off the Himalaya Botanique toothpaste on Amazon with discount code UNSTRESSED. So check out the show notes for more details on this episode sponsorship with Himalaya Botanique.
1: So I... I... I think it's so. You're asking me a question about, in some ways, about trait and state, mm-hmm. right? So I actually think it's it can be both. Um, I believe that when we talk about early attachment in childhood, that we may be using the wrong word. That it's about attachment, but it's about hope. When that infant's reaching out towards its mother, because we know now, we've known for the last 20 years that the mother-child interaction is not mother-instigated. It's infant and child-instigated. The child is playing and making things happen. When that child reaches out and that that reach is not reciprocated, that's a moment of hope and despair.
0: Mm.
1: Hope is this evolutionary thing that makes us connect, right? Um, We're cultural animals, and, 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 and we are the only animal that collaborates in order to invent. And to be able to do that means to hope. I have to be able to hope that we'll get along. I have to know that I can kind of get through this with you. And so the first thing an infant's doing is collaborating with the mother in those moments where it's not getting recipro- reciprocal response, it's losing hope.
0: Mm-hmm. So I actually
1: think that when we talk about attachment disorders, we're talking about hope disorders. I'm afraid of connecting with this person. Wow. I'm afraid of that feeling of helplessness. Does that that make sense?
0: Absolutely. Do you think we can even be afraid of connecting with ourselves?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So in adulthood, there's no parent taking care of you. There's you taking care of you. And if you feel like you don't have faith in yourself, that you can get through a disappointment, then you're going to be afraid of hope because fear of hope is really based on this other religious word, which is faith. Mm. Fear of hope is based on, I don't have faith in myself that I can get through this if it doesn't work out. So our relationships with ourselves become very difficult um, if we don't have some level of faith in ourselves. So that that's trait state. Yeah. Like I know state is an event because I, this is what I see with my clients. You know, somebody's going to Harvard, they're doing great. Then they have some sort of psychiatric event. They go in the hospital a few times. You know, somebody might say that the illness is what's stopping them from moving forward. I believe it's because all of a sudden the sense of a dream has been destroyed, mm. and they're struggling with that
0: Wow mm. so what's what's the solution then do you have one
1: <laughs> well i yeah, I do, but you know, I did write a self-help book that gives zero advice. <laughs> 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 um, and, and that yet was it's perp- wildly
0: more effective
1: <laughs> yeah well that was kind of the perp i was trying That's to help the people whole cont- point, right yeah. yeah i was trying to get people to contemplate
0: yeah
1: on their own right but um you really can't help people hope so you know y- you're afraid of heights you're you're uh you're, you're about to bungee jump and your friends like telling you, go do it, go do it. Um, who's the person you hate in the world most at that point, <laughs> right? <laughs> so cajoling people to hope doesn't work. Building faith does work. Do I have faith in you as a friend that you'll be there for me if this doesn't work? Can I get good at some things? If, can, I, can I get good at doing other things in my life so I build faith in myself? so that that disappointment doesn't destroy me. Mm-hmm. So the target of change should be about faith, not hope. Faithful people are capable of hoping and we're naturally built to hope. So it's about how do I build faith? And that that takes you know, a faithful relationship with a therapist, a faithful relationship with a friend, and your own ability to feel like you're effective in your life. So there's a, there's a term called self-efficacy from mm-hmm. social psychology. And basically, they've shown that if you can become self-effective in one area, it's generalizable. That your feeling yeah. of your own self-efficacy, because you've learned how to uh, uh, build pottery, uh, will affect how you think about other things in your life.
0: Yeah, I'm a lifelong learner. Like that's your that's, right. that's your identity. Yep. You can do it.
1: Yeah, oh, I love yeah. that.
0: I love that, especially, yeah. you know, cause the core demographic listening here, they're all mothers. So taking this in, not just for themselves, you know, not mm-hmm. just for themselves to lose weight or, you know, you know, cut back on drinking or whatever, but to nurture their child, to, to encourage them that, you know, they can do it on their own. They can figure it out. They've got someone supporting them, you know, no matter what, like that's, that's life changing right there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, Hope is generated in childhood in those moments of attachment with the parent and to recognize that when a child is feeling like they're not getting their needs met, that sometimes what their experiences is is this kind of despair Mm -hmm. and to respect that. Now that doesn't mean overly nurturing your kids, but to respect that there's a despairing event going on. And the other place it's generated is in play. And so to have this kind of profound respect that play is the event that develops hope. And play is really the event that develops the self, too. This kind of sense that I'm I'm a person in the world. And so to really kind of respect these moments is very serious mm. in, in an infant's life, in a child's life. You know?
0: Did you experience that with your parents? I mean obviously you went to a hippy dippy school. They were kind of <laughs> supportive of that. But what were what was your relationship like with them?
1: Um yeah. Um you know, the, the, the 60s and the 70s, they, they, they had um, a really good side to them, which was this creative side. And they had a really bad side of them, which was a lack of a sense of the importance of boundaries and limits, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I, 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 I really love how I was raised in the creative area, um, but uh, I could have done with more limits,
0: mm.
1: you know. And so I think that there, there was a, a shift in the pendulum was more limits and we're shifting back and that sort of thing. But that, you know, um, but the, the creative side was, was a great side. You know, my, my, my father was a jazz musician, so he understood play and things oh, like wow. that very well. And so it was, a, it, in some ways it was delightful, you know?
0: That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And like, who knows, you know, would you be in the spot that you're doing now helping all these people if, if they hadn't been that way?
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So looking back at your work, obviously you're far from done. Do you feel like you've kind of fulfilled your, your works, your life's purpose through this latest book?
1: Yeah. Yes. Which means that I feel, uh, uh, this, this book and also my company. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. So that means I feel a little lost.
0: Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it doesn't feel good, but you're right. No, I got, I got, you know, no, it's, it is that moment of hope. It's the moment of yeah. I'm lost. Now I've got to find my way, you know? And, um, you know, but it doesn't feel comfortable during that period, but that doesn't mean it's mm-hmm. bad. Right. But I do feel like, you know, yeah, I'm in this place of, well, what's next and what, mm-hmm. uh, how do I, how do I regain a sense of purpose now that I've sort of done this other thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's the book, but it's the company, the company's really done well and I feel good about it. Um, but I have to find something new. I
0: love it. I love it. Okay. So um, yeah, I have some rapid fire questions for you Mm -hmm.
1: to Mm -hmm. round it Uh out. I could talk
0: to you for so long. This is amazing. Um, Okay. They're, they're not bad. Yeah. Okay. Change is.
1: Oh my Lord. Really?
0: (laughs) (laughs) They're not bad. Here you go. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: change is always happening. Even when you're not changing, you're, doing something that's changing we are constantly changing living beings that's what defines living is that you're always changing yeah yeah i
0: love that um i'm grateful for
1: oh i'm just i got this great thing going on with my my 22 year old son and his girlfriend living near us and popping in to do their laundry the uh, I think they have so much laundry, I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm so grateful for that laundry because they pop in Aww. once a day. It's just, it's just a joy. And then we have dinner once or twice a week. It's just it's just profoundly warm and happy to have that in my life.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. okay. Last one. What is something that you've learned in life that you wish someone would have told you earlier on?
1: I guess I really I guess I really feel like I would have liked to have known more about how important hope is and that uh, I wish we didn't live in a world that made it either corny or religious, mm. you know, because um, I've grown to just believe it's, it's, it's earthy. It's not either of those things and that it should be the thing we're all focused on.
0: Well, I think through your work, you're absolutely changing the world towards
1: that. So thank you. Well, thank you. It was great talking to you.
0: Yeah. So where can our audience find out more about you, your company, your get your latest book? Tell us all the things.
1: Uh, well, the company's on Ellenhorn.com and uh, the book's uh, the HarperCollins. So it's, it's uh, you know, you just type in how we change and my name and it'll come up.
0: I love it. Thank you so much, Dr. Ellen Horn. This was such a treat. Thank you for your work, your light, and uh, for your laundry machine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. It was really great. It was really fun. Thanks.
0: You've been listening to the Motherhood Unstressed podcast, and I'm your host, Liz Carlisle. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm so grateful that we got this time together today. And if you love this episode, I would so appreciate it if you would share it out on your social media make sure to tag us at Motherhood Unstressed, connect with us at Motherhood Unstressed. I'd love to connect with you uh, and see where the work has gone in the world and make sure that you subscribe so that you never miss out on an amazing interview with an incredible guest or our weekly guided meditations every Wednesday. Till next time, see ya.